Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. All right, let's get to Joshua chapter 17 as we continue our study, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 17, you're also going to want to keep your finger in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, as well as Luke chapter 3. Once again, Joshua 17, Matthew chapter 1, Luke chapter 3. Let's do a little bit of a review as you are turning to those areas of Scripture. The children of Israel have been delivered out of 400 and about 30 years of slavery out of Egypt. In the same way that we've been delivered from our slavery of sin by Jesus Christ. The children of Israel were baptized through the Red Sea identifying them as a new nation in the same way we're identified with Christ through our baptism, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life. Now, after their baptism through the Red Sea, they got a little lost because of unbelief. And some of us are very familiar with that in our faith, where we get saved, we get baptized, and then We begin to stray a little bit, but God is a faithful shepherd who will leave the 99 to go and get the one, as he did with the children of Israel, and they experience a revival of faith and a second baptism through the Jordan River, where they were then empowered with the attitude to fight and go into their promised land, empowered by the Spirit, in the same way at our baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're empowered to do the work of the ministry. Now, what is the work that we're called to? Now, I know the work that I'm called to. It's Ephesians chapter 4. You don't need to turn there. The Bible says that some are apostles, Uh, pastors, teachers. Well, I know who I am. I'm a pastor teacher. And as a pastor teacher, my responsibility is to edify and equip the body for the work of the ministry. So there's one thing that I do know. There's a work for the church to do. In John chapter 6, verse 29, Jesus defines that work as The work of God is to believe. Well, what Jesus then does is he begins to describe the job description. And he says, if the work of God is to believe, then the job description is that we preach the gospel, which brings belief, and we make disciples, which actually strengthens belief. How we do that, making disciples and preaching the gospel... Well, it can be as creative as our children's ministry. I don't know if you've ever been over there. When I was a kid, we used to go deep and... Some of you are as old as me. And you remember? You'd go faster and faster. 
deep and wide, deep and wide, and fountains flowing deep and wide. And then you go, hmm, and hmm, and you'd move a word like every single time. Well, now they've got all kinds of things. I don't know if you guys remember, um, uh, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And we can get as creative as we can with the preaching of the gospel and the making of disciples. Just go into our parking ministry. Do you know how creative they have to be to park you people? Call our reception ministry to hear how they so creatively answer the phone. We can reach gangs. We can translate the word of God. I don't know if you know this, but our church is currently sponsoring 22 translations in Iran of the Bible. 22 different languages. I know none of those things are in the Bible in regards to children's ministry, this and how we do and this, that, and the other, but the job is clear. Preach the gospel and make disciples. Now, my job is to edify and equip or inspire all of us to get to work because there is a work of the ministry. Now, with that in your heart and mind, let's go to the Lord in prayer to prepare our heart to hear Joshua 17. Father, we want to get to work. And we're a church that wants to serve. So I pray in Jesus' name that as we dig into your word now, that you would give us the grace to get to the work that you've called us to. And all God's people said? So I had you say amen at the beginning of our message because there's a volunteer sign-up that's going to be at the end of our message. And all of you, by saying amen, you said you agree to signing up. (laughs) I'm kidding. See, unfortunately, even though work was a part of of creation, a part of the garden, part of perfection, God told Adam, tend to the garden. Do you know how big the garden was? to hold all the animals of the earth. Now, I know they were better friends than they are now, but at the same time, that's a lot of work to tend to this garden. But even though it was a part of perfection, I know that there are some of us who don't like to work. We loved COVID. It was that opportunity for us to not go to work and get paid. Now, listen, if we love to work, they wouldn't have to pay us to do it. That's why they call it work. But there's some who don't really like to work. And I found in the church that there's really two kinds of people like the two sons in Jesus' story. I will start a message and say, Lord, help us get to work and say in Jesus' name. And everybody says, you know what amen means? I agree. Now you've got to determine what kind of son are you. Because in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus says, let me tell you a story about two sons. I said, hey, why don't you guys go to work? And one of the sons says, yeah, dad, I'm going to go to work. He walks away. He don't do it. One of the sons goes, I don't want to do it. And he walks away. He feels guilty. And he goes, you know what? I'm going to go do it. And then he asks the priest the question, which son do you think did the right thing? Well, even though he didn't want to work, at least he went and did the work, and that would be the son that did the right thing. So I know in the church, there are those that will go to work. They will give it all of their heart. In fact, I don't know if you know this. I know it's not true of Calvary Chapel South Bay, okay? I know that, right? Let me give you the truth. 
Do you know the current average of church volunteers is 10% of any given church does 100% of the work? In the United States of America, 10% of the people do 100% of the work. Now, we know that's not true at Calvary Chapel South Bay. Amen? Because there are other churches filled with people that don't like to work. Now, I found that to fall in a couple of categories. You see, there are the no-timers and there are the sometimers. There are those that, well, they will not do anything to lift their finger. I remember Mother's Day when I was teaching on Sunday, and I said, I know some of you, your mothers dragged you here to come to church, and you would never go to church. There was literally a guy in the second service who was in the back, and he went, me? She dragged me here. Literally in the second service on Sunday. He's a no-timer. He never wants to come to church, much less never serve. Then there's the high school students, and they need community service hours. So we are an opportunity for them to have a lot of fun because no church is going to make you work that hard. What are you going to have to do? Pick up a little piece of garbage here or there and say, woohoo, deep and wide to some kids, and you get your signature. Then there's the sometimers, and I call them brownie patch Christians. You remember the brownie uh, sash, the Girl Scout sash, or the Boy Scout vest? And if you did something right, you got a patch, and you put that patch on, you put that patch on. Well, there's a lot of Girl Scout, Boy Scout Christians. Well, I did children's ministry 35 years ago. There's my patch. I've done it already. I don't need to do it again. I've done a mission trip. Oh, I did that 15 years ago. There's my mission trip patch. I got it right here. And we wear our patches as if we're currently serving, but it's not what we are doing. It's what we used to do. Well, I need to let you know, Jesus gives a warning. Now, I know none of you exist here, but he actually gives a warning to lazy people. And it's in Luke chapter 12, verse 19, He's speaking of the man who built big barns. And then at the end of his days, he says this, and I'll say to my soul, soul. Okay, the first part of the problem is he's talking to himself. Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. In other words, be lazy, eat, drink, be merry. The next verse is you fool. Do you realize that Jesus calls laziness foolishness? In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 16, he says, In that day it shall be said of Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Let not your hands be weak. You see, the goal of the people of God is that they are busy about the work. So, in part I understand, though. You see, some of the reason that people don't want to go to work is because it means going to war. Well, let me explain. Do you remember the parable that Jesus gave in the uh, uh, the parables uh, 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 in Matthew chapter 13? He spoke about a farmer who went out to his field, and the workers, they sowed uh, uh, wheat. So the workers, they went out, they sowed the wheat. Well, that night, while they slept, Jesus says. Now, imagine Jesus telling the story. So It was so much more than I, and I'm sure he captivated the whole audience. And he says, now, just imagine, while some of them slept, the enemy said, I'm going to go and plant weed. Now, listen, California, 
I meant weeds. Weeds. Okay? He's going to go and plant weeds. Because wherever there's a work of God, you better believe there's a war that you're going to walk into with the enemy. Work and war go hand in hand. When we go to work for the gospel, we go to war against the enemy. You remember in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 17? Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 17, the Bible says that while they were building the wall, some had a weapon and, 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 and a tool in both hands. They were working and they were warring while they were doing the work of God. Uh, I know Pastor Jeff let you know that we were in Philippi this past Sunday, but I need to let you know why. You see, Pastor Zach and myself, we went to Turkey. Now, we couldn't tell you before we left. And there's a reason why. Because we were ministering to people in a, I don't want to disclose the country, where the gospel is not accepted, but they're able to come to Turkey. So we brought them out of that place And we brought them to Turkey, and we were able to minister to them and inspire them and encourage them in the word of God because they are doing the work of God and they know the war that they exist in. Now, it was really convicting for me. I need to let you know something. I was teaching 1 Peter, the doctrine of suffering, to a group of people that I know when they go back to their country for very fact that they came to go to a Bible conference, they can get arrested. And I'm going to fly back to the United States of America. Do you know how difficult it was for a week of teaching people that are going to go and risk their lives? They know the war that they're going to, and they're going to do the work of God despite of it. Some of us, we're not even engaged with the work. Oh, sorry. None of us here at Calvary Chapel South Bay, I know it's none of us sitting here or listening online, but we've got to realize that if we choose to engage in the work of God, we're going to go to war with God. That's the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua is about entering into our promised land of the work of God. And when you've got to do the work of God, you're going to join in the war effort of God. And we go from battle to battle in the promised land, and even the great apostle Paul would remind us in 2 Timothy chapter 6, fight the good fight. Our promised land is the work of God warring with God. That's why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. If you're not at war, quite possibly you're not at work. So Paul would tell the church, be a good soldier, one who doesn't get involved with the civilian affairs. And what he's saying is, get involved with the work of God. And so what Joshua's going to do in Joshua 17 He's going to inspire us. He's going to inspire us to get busy about the work of God and recognize once you go to work, you're going to be going to war. Joshua chapter 17, let's pick it up, verse 1. Now, if you guys are saying, okay, that took you 18 minutes to get through the intro, how are we going to get through verse 1? I have no idea, but let's keep going. There was a lot for the tribe of, there was a lot for the tribe of Manasseh. For he was the firstborn of Joseph, namely for Maker, the firstborn of Manasseh. 
the father of Gilead, because he was a man of war. And I've underlined that in my Bible. Therefore, he was given Gilead and Bashan. There was a lot for the rest of the children of Manasseh, according to their families, for the children of Abiezer, the children of Helek, the children of Azrael, the children of Shechem, the children of Hefer, and the children of Shemidah. These were the male children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, according to their families. If you're taking note, we're going to see how Joshua inspires us to get to work. The very first thing he does is reward the faithful. He rewards the faithful. Let me explain. The tribe of Ephraim is just, has just received their lot in chapter 16. Pastor Jeff taught us that last week. And now it's time for Ephraim's brother, Manasseh, to receive their lot. The very first person to receive their lot is a man by the name of Maker. We're going to get to him in just a moment. But these two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, I don't know if you know this, but they're the sons of Joseph. Joseph, who who rescued Jacob and the brothers, the 12 tribes of Israel, who had gone ahead to Egypt, forced by his brothers, and then he becomes the prince of Egypt and rescues the very brothers that tried to kill him, selling him into slavery. It's that Joseph. So overwhelmed with gratitude to God that uh, Jacob, he took Manasseh and Ephraim from Joseph, adopted them as their own kids, and gave Joseph a double portion of the land. Genesis chapter 49, you can look it up later. There in Genesis 49, Manasseh and Ephraim received the most lavish blessing that any of the other boys got from Jacob. And if you were Reuben, you didn't want the blessing that he got because it really wasn't a blessing. He was removed as the firstborn, and Manasseh and Ephraim replaced Reuben and got the majority of the first son birthright. Wow! This is a blessed tribe. It's also interesting for us to learn, Joseph was of the tribe of Ephraim. And we're going to see his leadership tested tonight as to whether he's going to be fair to this tribe as he is to the rest of the tribes of Israel. Now let's talk about Maker, one of Joseph's kin, uh, one of Joseph's family on down the line, through the line of Manasseh, Maker. Now I don't know if you know this, this guy was making her it happen, okay? That's why his name is Maker. It means sold. He was, come on, work with me here. He was sold out for God. That's what his name means, sold. He was sold out for God. And he had a reputation of doing the work. Now remember, the work of God was that the children of Israel went into the promised land and got rid of all the Canaanites. That was the work of God. I want you to go to work, which means you're going to go to war. And Maker did exactly what God asked him to do. In fact, so much so, he had gained the testimony as a man of war. That was his testimony. This was a guy that was devoted to working for God. This was a guy who was known for working for God. I was speaking with Jake. Uh, uh, He's one of our ministers at children's ministry. And Jake was telling me today, we've got some Sunday school workers that have been there for 30 years 30 years. 
And you always know you're going to get Miss So-and-so if you're in second grade because she's been serving for 30 years. Whoa! She's known as a children's minister. Imagine, what's our reputation? What are we known for? So you know what Joshua does? He rewards Maker in front of everybody. This guy's doing it. He's a man of war. He's doing the work of God. And so what Joshua does is he rewards the faithful. Now, one of the places he rewards them is Bashan. And Bashan, it's a Hebrew word that means fruitful. In other words, he's getting some of the best land in the land of Israel. But there's a problem with the land. The enemy resides in the land of Bashan. But Maker, Maker had already proven his testimony. He'd already proven that he could handle greater responsibility. And so Joshua had no problem giving him a land that there needed to be enemy removed because he'd already proven himself to be a man of war. So you've been faithful with a little maker. I'm going to give you this great big land because you've proven I can trust you with this. I know I can trust you with this. Is that ringing a bell? It's Jesus Discipleship 101. Remember the talents in Matthew 25? Well, one was given one, one was given five, one was given ten. The one with one, he hid his. The one with five made five more. The one with ten made ten more. When Jesus came back, he commended the one who made ten. He commended the one who made five. He challenged and rebuked the one who hid his one talent. You had a job to do. You were not faithful with the work that I had given you. So Jesus makes it very clear in Matthew chapter 25, verse 29. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have abundance, but from him who does not have, even what he has is going to be taken away. What have you been faithful with? And do you realize the reward of being faithful with your little is you get more responsibility? That's the reward of the faithful. You see, sometimes we have a tendency to want the more, but we don't want to be faithful when the little. So when the more comes, we can't handle it. I was speaking with a pastor in the foreign mission field, and he wanted me to get him a storefront property. And he said to me back when I was at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, if you'll just give me $20,000, I can get this storefront property and we'll have a church. And that's what I said to him. Have you even planted the church yet? Well, no, but I know if we get this storefront property. He goes, let me, tell, let me tell you what I want you to do. Start a Bible study in your living room. And after that Bible study grows, extend it to your family room. And then when it moves from your living room to your family room, get a tent. And after that tent, maybe, buy a house, maybe rent a house. Now you've got the whole house. Well, I, I, I don't want to do that. I want this big old storefront. All I need is $20,000. What did you come here for? I came here for this. Start a Bible study. Let it grow out of your living room. I spoke with him the other day. You know, I really didn't like you when you told me to stand about, oh, I know. Yeah, I know you did. But now he's in his storefront. He's got a couple hundred people going to his church. You see, he learned all the lessons as he was faithful in the little. Now God is blessing him with the more. 
You see, like maker, when you give a servant, someone who's doing the work of God and warring for God, when you give a servant more responsibility, they don't look at it and go, I can't believe he's asking me to do more. No. They look at it and go, wow, look what God is blessing me with. More responsibility. What a reward. Let me tell you something. I'm an employer. I know I'm a pastor. But I'm also a CEO. I'm a CFO. I'm an employer. I'm a manager. I'm an administrator. Let me tell you, to run a church, you've got to have a little bit of everything to accomplish the task. And as an employer, let me tell you, when I'm getting ready to hire someone, I'll hire heart over skill any day of the week. I will hire heart more than skill any day of the week because I know that if I've got heart, you can do anything with heart. But to put heart in someone who thinks they know it all, I want heart, and I'd rather have heart all day. I've said it a hundred times. I would rather be the cowboy on the horse that goes, whoa, instead of, yeah, yeah. I would rather be slowing people down than making people go. I'll hire heart all day. This is Jesus, people. Jesus, people have a heart to serve. You remember John chapter 4. John chapter 4, Jesus is ministering to the Samaritan woman. He has sent the disciples into the village to go to uh, uh, um, uh, the grocery store. I don't know if you know this, but in the Bahamas, we say food store. And Americans say grocery store. And I never knew that no one understood me when I said food store. So now that I know, some, one, one of you so wonderfully pointed it out to me. That's why you heard me stutter. So he sent them to the grocery store. <laughs> Did you get me? Great. Okay. So he sent them to the grocery store, and he starts ministering to this woman. And the Bible says he's weary, he's tired, and he's hungry. That's why he sent them to the grocery store. So they come back with their bags of food, and I don't know if they had to pay 10 cents for their bag or not. They come back with their bags of food, and they show up on the scene, and Jesus is no, not hungry anymore. He's not tired anymore. They're like, well, Jesus, what do you want us to do with the rotisserie? And he goes, let me tell you something. I've got a food that you know nothing about. I'm doing the work, and I'm doing the will of God, and I'm completely filled. I met a man in the war in Liberia. He came out of the bush after hiding for 30 days, protecting several families. He was as skinny as a rail. He hadn't eaten in about 25 days. He gave all of his food to keep these families alive. And when I met that man coming out of that bush, you know what he said to me? I have found that you will never go physically hungry as long as you are spiritually fed and doing the work of God. You see, let me tell you something. Joshua is rewarding maker's faithfulness. Let's go on. Number two, I want you to write it down. We've got to rely on God's word. He's going to inspire us by relying on God's word. It's Joshua 17. Pick it up in verse 3. But Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Maker, the son of Manasseh. He had no sons, but only daughters. And these are the names of his daughters. Mala, Noah, Hagla. I wouldn't recommend like a little Hagla running around. Um, beautiful Jewish name, probably not great at South Bay, okay? So don't look at that and go, oh, wow, I just got my girl's name. Don't do it. Can you imagine if they nicknamed her Hog, right? Okay, Hogla, Milka, and Tirza. 
And they came near before Eliezer. They came near before Eliezer the priest, before Joshua, the son of Nun, and before the ruler, saying, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers. Therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among their father's brothers. Ten shares fell to Manasseh besides the land of Gilead and Bashan, which were on the other side of the Jordan, because the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance among his sons. And the rest of Manasseh's sons had the land of Gilead. And the territory of Manasseh was from Asher to Mechthilah. Let's stop there for just a moment. Number two, I ask you to write it down. We've got to rely on the God's word. Now, the work we do has got to be founded in God's word. That's what's happening here. The work we do has got to be founded in God's word. For example, there's a phrase out there in today's Christian missions world called the social gospel. It's called the social gospel. The premise of the social gospel is that you help people but you don't share the gospel. So you dig a well, and you're hoping that by doing this great social work that people will see the gospel in you and that they will somehow come to an understanding that Jesus Christ, without you ever saying anything, they, he's the one that came and did this well. It's called the social gospel. They think it's a good work. But that's not how Jesus defines a good work. Jesus defines a good work as digging the well and preaching the gospel. In fact, the only adjective that should be in front of the word gospel is the word everlasting because that's what Jesus uses in Revelation. It's the everlasting gospel. Take a look at the screen. It's Luke chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Let me show you this. This is why it's so important that we rely on God's word when we're going to do the work. Take a look. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all, nation, over all demons and to cure diseases. He's about to send them out to do the work. He knows there's going to be a war. So he's giving them power to overcome. That same power has been given to us. When we go to work, we, he knows we're going to go to war, and he's given us power to overcome. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. There ain't nothing social about Jesus' gospel. There is the doing of the work, and there is the preaching of the gospel. Well, these ladies know that. Five sisters. They know the word of God. And in Numbers 27, they went to Moses. Moses, what's God going to do? My dad don't have any sons. That means we won't have any land. Well, God, he believes in women's opportunity. So God responds, and he says, you know what? They get land. They just need to marry within the tribe so that the land doesn't go outside of the tribe. That's what Moses promised them by the word of the Lord. Well, Joshua, he's getting ready to give out the land. And the sisters are there saying, whoa, wait a second, Joshua. You better not just give it to the brothers because our dad doesn't have any sons. And remember what Moses promised us. It seems like Joshua was going to overlook. So the girls go to Joshua and Eliezer and say, wait a second, don't give this land out. We need some land. We want to go to work and we want to go to war. Well, James says it best in James chapter 4, verse 2. You have not because you ask not. Now, I hope you're a servant. 
And I hope you're asking, you're saying to yourself, hmm, am I being responsible with the work that God has given me? Well, that's a great question. That's a really great question. Have you asked where you can serve? Now, you might be saying, why won't anyone ask me to do something here at the church? Well, that question's a problem. That's, if you're waiting for someone to ask you to get to work, that wouldn't be like our girls. You see, we know we're supposed to work. The Word of God has told us to get to work. These girls knew it, and they didn't wait around for Joshua to say, hey, girls, um, do you want to get to work? No, they go to Joshua, and they say, listen, we want what's promised to us. We want to get to work. We want to get to war. We want to do what God has asked us to do, and they were serious about it. You see, James describes it best for us. Faith without works is Faith without works is, I need to clarify something. It's not that our works save us. There's nothing we can do to get to heaven. Jesus did the work of salvation. We're to do the work of sanctification. You see, our works actually are evidence that we are saved. The church doesn't, excuse me, the world doesn't want to volunteer at the church. It's the last thing on their minds. They got party on their mind on Friday night, not come and help us at the Harvest Fest. That's, that's the last thing on their minds. You see, <coughs> these girls know the word of God. They know they're supposed to get to work. So they're the ones that go to Joshua and they say, it's time for me to get to work. I think I also want to point something out. It's important that you see God is very concerned about the rights of women in a society and a world that could care less about women. Do you realize the Hebrew nation was the only nation in the known world that gave property to women? You see, so many people, because of humanity have marked Christians as like, well, you don't believe in women's rights and you don't believe that women should have this and you don't believe that women should have that. Let me tell you, God does. Because he was the only one that gave land to women. It's so important that you see this, but there's something else that you need to see. These women prepare us to understand Jesus. See, the name of the first daughter, her name means sickness. The second daughter's name is Motion. And I was trying to make a sentence of it, Motion Sickness. It didn't go so great. And then one of the daughters, her name is Queen. And I was like, oh, the Queen of Motion Sickness. That didn't go great as well. But there is something there that I want us to see. The first daughter's name, it means sickness or disease. The last daughter's name, Tirza, means favorable. From sickness to in the favor of God. From sickness and disease to in the favor of God. Well, that sounds a little bit like what Jesus did for us. The favor of God. Well, there is a woman that we know of whom God's favored rest. 
Her name was Mary. And she was busy about doing the work of God. You see, the Bible promises that God's eyes are roaming on the earth to find who is being faithful so that he can be loyal to them. And so we know God's eye is roaming because he wants to be faithful to the one who's being loyal to him. And there's Mary doing the work of God. And that's so important for us to see. I want to explain why this is important for us to see the truth about Mary. Go with me to Matthew chapter 1, verse 11. Matthew chapter 1, verse 11. Matthew chapter 1, I ask you to turn in your Bible there. Matthew chapter 1, verse 11. Here's what the Bible says. Speaking of the genealogy of Joseph, Matthew chapter 1, verse 11. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. This is the line of Joseph. But there's something very important to remember. Jesus is not the son of Joseph. He's the son of God. You see, we got a little problem in verse 11. And the problem is this guy by the name of Jeconiah. He had another name. This guy's name was Kaniah. You see, he was so wicked, so wicked, that in Jeremiah chapter 28, Jeremiah prophesies over Jeconiah that his seed would never again sit on the throne. Uh-oh, he's in the line of Jesus because he's Joseph's great, 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 great granddaddy. I got good news. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 3. Luke's gospel, chapter 3. Luke's gospel, chapter 3. Luke's gospel, chapter 3. And we're going to pick it up in verse 31. This is Mary's genealogy. Luke's gospel, chapter 3. And we're going to pick it up in verse 31. Let's take a look. Luke's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 31. The son of Malaya, the son of Menon, the son of Matthew, the son of Nathan, the son of David. Oh, wait a second. Joseph's line goes Solomon, the son of David. Mary's line goes through a different brother, Nathan, son of David. All of a sudden, everything begins to change. Her line goes through a different son of David. This avoids Coniah altogether. This makes Jeremiah's prophecy absolutely true. Do you realize that because this law was given, because these ladies were given the land, they got the legal right to the land and they got the spiritual right to the land. But had not our ladies known the word of God to do the work of God and had gone to uh, uh, Moses and said, wait a second, we need some property because our dad didn't have any brothers, they make Mary legitimate. 
they make Mary not only able to receive the legal right, but also the spiritual right for Jesus to sit on the throne as the Son of God through the line of David, through a different brother. These ladies are a wonderful representation of the line of Jesus Christ through Mary. Now take a look. Let's go back. These ladies, they do a great job of Joshua chapter 17 of doing the work that God tells them to do. And there in verse 7, let's pick it up. And the territory of Manasseh was from Asher to Michmath that lies east of Shechem. And the Bible goes on in verse 7 and verse 8 and verse 9 to express where this land is. Take a look at verse 10. Southward, it was Ephraim's. Northward, it was Manasseh's. And the sea was its borders. Manasseh's territory was adjoining Asher on the north and Issachar on the east. And in Issachar and Asher, Manasseh had Bethshan, its towns, Ilbium, its towns, the inhabitants of Dor, its towns, the inhabitants of Endor and its towns, the inhabitants of Tanakh and its towns, and the inhabitants of Megiddo and its towns, three hilly regions. Yet... The children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. And it happened when the children of Israel grew strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. Gang, this land was massive. It took us from verse 7 to verse 12 just to describe the description of it. And Manasseh was so large and so blessed that Joshua even gave them land in Asher and Issachar because they were so blessed of God with the amount of people. This land, it was filled with mountains. The only flat land it has was the Jordan Valley, the Valley of Jezreel, and Gilead. Now, I'm not going to go on to describe, but you can just imagine all they had was maybe what we consider the LA basin, and they were surrounded by mountains all around. And Manasseh's looking at this going, wait a second, do we have enough land? And they made a very vital mistake. And we begin to see the character of Manasseh. They did not do the work of God. They left the Canaanites there in the middle of the land. And what they chose to do was create their own work of God. They weren't following the word of God. They were doing their own work of God. They weren't like the daughters of Zeliophad. They were creating their own. They go, listen, we're not going to put the Canaanites out. Let's make them our slaves. Let's just leave them here. There's a couple problems with this, and you'll know it from your own faith. When we operate from our own perspective and we don't do the work that God's given us of preaching the gospel and making disciples, and we take a little easier route, we call it the social gospel because, well, I'm not an evangelist and so I'll just dig the well. And we allow that to happen in our lives and we live by our own perspective. Do you realize that you think it's an easier route, but it's actually going to cost you in the end? You see, I have a friend of mine. He's a pastor in Tallahassee, and I'll never forget 20 years ago, he said, listen, I just bought a car lot. I'm going to make my money, and then I'm going to serve God. I said, you're, I asked him, you're called of God? He goes, yeah, I'm called, but I'm going to make my money first, and then I'm going to serve. I go, I want you to call me in five years and tell me how that works out for you. Because I don't know what disciple said to Jesus, listen, let me just count my money first, and then I'll follow you. 
Let me just catch one more fishing net and I'll follow you. Five years, I saw him again. He, didn't, he ran from me at a conference. You know me. I ran to him. I said, hello. He goes, <coughs> I go, how did it work out? He goes, I lost everything. You lost everything? And I'm the assistant pastor at such and such church. So I said, I told you so. I love when I get, you know, Paul said it, so it's biblical. I said, I told you so. You've got to do the work of God the way of God. The unfortunate problem about this is they actually thought, the tribe of Manasseh, they thought we've got control of the situation. We're going to make them our slaves. We're going to make money out of these people. But let me tell you something. You can't play with the enemy. You can't believe the lie that if you're the only one that can get away with this. You can't believe that. You can't believe that just a little isn't going to hurt you. Because let me tell you what happens in the book of Judges. The Canaanites have more children than the Hebrews, and they overpower the Hebrews because that is always the goal of sin. Sin always grows. Just ask James. Once it gives birth, it leads to death. It never leads to life. And Manasseh had to learn that the hard way. That's why Jesus said, if you know you've got sin in your life, pluck out your eye, cut off your arm, radically amputate sin out of your life. Don't believe the lie. You're the only one that can get away with it. Because it's not true. So verse 14 we begin to see the problem. The children of Joseph spoke to Joshua. So now we've got Manasseh and Ephraim working together, saying, why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit? In other words, all we've got is this valley and Gilead. That's it. We're a great people inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now. So Joshua answered him, if you're a great people, then go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourself there in the land of the Perizzites and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. We begin to see the problem of why they didn't want to get to work. Blame. You only gave us one lot. I'm sorry. I had nothing to do with it. You picked a lot and God chose the land that you got, and he gave you the land of mountains because he's got a purpose for you that only he knows. I have nothing to do this. This is like the person in Calvary Chapel South Bay saying, I don't serve there anymore because she's there. And she hurt me. I don't even go to that church because he's there. Do you ever hear the story about the man that they found on an isolated island? He was the only man on the island. There were three buildings when they found him. So they asked him, what's this building in the center? He said, oh, that's my house. So they asked him, what's the building on the left? He said, oh, that's my church. So they said, well, what's the building on the right? He goes, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> we got problems with ourselves, much less problems with anybody else. And who are we blaming as to why we're not getting working and warring with God? There's another reason, problem. We are great, and God has greatly blessed us. Listen, Calvary South Bay, entitlement. 
I don't need to serve. Do you know who I am? I'm Manasseh, Joseph, blessed, adopted by Jacob. I've been at Calvary for 35 years. I got my badge, man. Don't, in fact, this message is bothering me. You're asking me to get to work. And Joseph, do you know who you are? You're a son of Ephraim. So you better do good to us, Joseph. Joseph's got a real test of his leadership, and I want you to see what he does. We close it up here in verse 15. So Joshua answered the people, if you're so great, then go up to the forest. Go get your giants since you're so great. You know what he's doing? He says, listen, sometimes you just got to tell people the truth. Since you're so great, go and do it. Go and serve. I was out with a couple of friends, uh, a couple of 20-year-olds about a month ago, and one of them came and says, I like that girl. You know what I said to her? Go tell her. Oh, I can't do that. I told so-and-so, he'll tell her. You're a wimp, and I'm going to tell her not to go with you because you don't have the courage to walk up to her and say, I like you. You're going to go through somebody else to do your dirty work? You better walk. What, you don't want to be embarrassed? So I walked up to the girl and I said, hey, he likes you. Deal with it. (laughs) Now, all of you, don't come to me for counseling. You will be a sermon illustration. (laughs) My son begged me tonight, please don't use me as a sermon illustration. You see, Joseph knows the real reason why they don't want to go into the land. They're lazy. They don't want to clear the forest. They want it to be handed to them. Hey, we want the old God. The God that just gives us the land like we walk around it, the walls drop. That's the God we want. We don't want to do the whole forest thing. Can he, can just, can he just bring a hurricane and wipe everything out? I mean, that's the God that we would like. And this whole giant thing, we're not climbing those mountains. Can God give us like wings like an angel? We just kind of fly up there. I mean, that's the God I want to serve. And sometimes when we get saved, God delivers us from smoking. He delivers us from alcohol. But then in our Christian walk, we want that same experience. Just deliver me from this. Why am I struggling with this? Let me tell you something. He wants to reveal something different to you. That's why he's allowing you to fight. And if you're in the fight, then you are a believer. You can live in victory. Joshua realizes something else about him. Look at verse 16. The children of Joseph said, The mountain country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley with chariots have chariots of iron, both those who are Bethshan and its towns, those who are in the valley of Jezreel. See, Joshua realizes something at this point. They're afraid. So first he just tells them, Look, would you just go since you're so great? He exhorts them. But he's such a great leader. Look what he does now in verse 17. So Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and to Manasseh, saying, You are a great people, and you do have great power. You shall not only have one lot, but the mountain country shall be yours. Listen to him. It's like the battle hymn of the republic. Although it's wooded, you shall cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots, and though they are strong. He's not exhorting them any longer. He's encouraging them. You can do this, guys. 
Trust the Lord. He, they have Caleb as an example. Look at what Caleb did. God promised him a land and God gave it to him. The victory is not just for Caleb. The victory is yours as well. Church, I want to encourage you. What are you struggling with? So you might look at me and go, you went where? And you did what last week? You're like CIA for Jesus. Like, whoa. You're like FBI. And I don't know if you know this, but I've got a couple of passports. So my kids actually believe I'm CIA. They're like, Dad, you are Jason Bourne. Do you know this life is available for you in L.A.? That you are God's special agent and the victory is not just for the pastor. The victory is yours. Caleb is just an example that the victory is yours. God said it. Go to work. Go to war. I'm going to give you victory. He's telling you the same thing. Go to work. Go to war. Now, what are you wrestling with? What sin are you struggling with? What are you fighting? Keep up the fight. The fact that you're here listening to the word of God says to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't let the enemy beat you up. You may be struggling, but you're still in the battle. So, fight the good fight of faith. Let's go to war. Amen? Now, here's what you got to do. You got to go to work. You got to go to work. So I'm looking at my next children's minister. I'm looking. No, I, actually, I don't have a sign-up available. I wish I did. That, I mean, I'm praying that the Spirit will do something in your heart and life that we don't have to have a sign-up. The church phone is ringing off the hook because you realize it's time to get to work. Father, I pray for Calvary Chapel South Bay. It is time for us to get to work. We got a job to do. Preaching the gospel, making disciples. You've given us ministries here at this church to be faithful with. And we are servants here at Calvary Chapel South Bay. And this is the Thursday night crew. They're the double dippers. So my prayer, Lord, protect us from entitlement. Protect us from I used to and get us engaged in the work. If we're afraid of the war, give us the power of your spirit to fight. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.